0: August, 1990, U.S. Army's Fort Hood, Texas. Before leaving Fort Ord, I had re-enlisted in the U.S. Army Reserve and was sent to a Texas National Guard outfit in San Antonio, Texas. For me, it was like going from Major League Baseball to a co-ed community church softball team, and not a very good one. Well, anyway... Since I had earned my expert field medical badge while at Fort Ord, I was asked to help with some training for some of the medics in the company who wanted to attend the same school, the expert field medical badge school, at Fort Sam Houston the following summer. I told them it made no sense to start training unless they could complete the 12-mile road march that had to be completed in three hours to pass the course, and I knew from experience you had to run at least part of the time to make it. And guys, my fellow light fighters, these rucksacks they were walking and running with were an absolute joke by our standards. Well, in the August sun, one by one, they all fell out. All fell out under the Texas heat. When we got back, and I, I'd grown up in Texas, so I mean, I, but we all had. This is a Texas National Guard outfit. One of the Lima Deltas, I'm just kidding. Does anybody remember what Lima Delta stood for? <laughs> one, of the, one of the guys that had fallen out asked me, why the heat had not affected me. And I said these words exactly because I have been to Panama. Welcome to Light Fighters, the last foot soldiers of the Cold War. My name is Jason Dias. In the late 1980s, a group of young men who grew up without computers, cell phones, and social media will help end the Cold War. This is not based on a true story, this is a true story. right. Now, I remember being very excited when I found out we were going to Panama. I grew up with loving maps, and I had a globe. I had a map of the world, a paper map of the world, uh, on my wall in my bedroom as a young child. And I l- just loved finding things and looking at things. I was pretty familiar with Panama. I haven't really talked about this much, but even when I was at Fort Ord as an enlisted guy, I, I paid a lot of attention to the news and things that were happening in the world. And I knew the Panama Canal was a very, very significant place On the earth, perhaps the most significant place on the earth. And I knew that Jimmy Carter had basically said, We're going to give it back to the Panamanians. And I forgot what year that was supposed to happen. Maybe 1990? I don't remember. I don't remember. But everyone was a little worried about it because of some of the things that were happening at the leadership level in Panama and how it intertwined with the drug war and the war with the communists in Central and South America. In many ways, Panama is the perfect. Field problem for the 7th Infantry Division and the light fighters. And it is the toughest, toughest training. Save, save the National Training Center. I'm saving National Training Center for last. I know we can argue about this, but for me personally, as much as hard as Panama was, as you're about to find out, uh, I'm going to pick National Training Center as the hardest. But anyway, let's go back to Panama. Uh, welcome to the most inhospitable place on earth. This is a thick, triple canopy jungle if you've never been or if you want to remember if you're listening to this because you're a family member of one of the light fighters or a friend or a coworker, i would ask you to do something it's the only way i can describe this part of it would be just to close your eyes tight close your eyes as tightly as you can for three or four seconds that's how dark it was at night I'm not exaggerating. There's no ambient light getting through that triple canopy. There's no moon glow. There's no star glow. It is that dark. I know in our platoon, we tied 550 cord to one another to find each other. For radio watch, you would pass the radio around the perimeter at night or you would come to the headquarters area and monitor the radio so people could get some sleep. So just imagine that, that dark. And this is what it was hiding, you know, triple canopy, dense foliage, uh, radios. When they worked, they, sometimes they didn't work because the iron in the ground, it, it messed with everything. Raining all the time, hot all the time, um, mud. When you were moving during the day, things that you would learn to do, like, you know, get leverage on tree roots and grab onto you know, plants and things like that to give yourself leverage when you're climbing up very, very difficult terrain. You can't touch anything. In Panama, there was the dreaded black palm. It's this, it looks like something you can grab a hold of, and it's got these gigantic black spikes sticking out of it that, yes, would go through the leather gloves that a lot of us wore. Um, Other plants, I mean, if you go and look up uh, online, if you go look online, hundreds and hundreds of poisonous plants and vines and flowers and just all the terrible things that can happen to you when you're in the jungle. And all of this was real. This was not the mount site that the army had created to practice urban warfare. This was the real welcome to the jungle. Um, You can die here. And and, and if the plants weren't bad enough, there was also all the local wildlife, crazy howler monkeys and things like that. And of course, the dreaded poisonous snakes, the fertilance, the bushmaster, every bug, every scorpion, every spider. It was all crawling around, it was all around you, and, and there you were at night unable. To see, It was just, I tell you, it was it was very, very, very claustrophobic at night. And then during the day, it was miserable. I can remember when we were first getting there and we were getting accustomed to doing this thing. We built like these rafts with our ponchos to float our rucksacks across the river. The guy in the Zodiac tells us, oh, by the way, I think it was in this river. I think it was called the, was it the Gatun Locks? There was a river there. It might have been the Gatun River. I don't remember. I'm doing this from memory. They said, oh, by the way, I think Jaku Stowe's son was killed. In this river with the crocodiles. I mean, th- this was not some simulated environment. You know, Fort Hunter Lake, it was sort of like Fort Ord. Hawaii hadn't been that crazy. There wasn't a lot of stuff that could hide in the black lava. Uh, Fort Benning, you know, you were still in the United States. And, of course, we hadn't been to Australia yet. This was just a completely different world. And like I said, while I grew up in South Texas with the humidity, when I was experiencing it, I was not humping 120 pounds of gear through this uh, treacherous terrain. You know, I remember first when we were first out in the field for the jungle operations training school thinking, you know, one of the reasons I thought I'd really done my platoon of favors, I'd really learned how to to navigate very well. And I couldn't, you can't see anything. You cannot see anything in the jungle. All the, all the things that I'd used to get good at navigation were gone. The ability to climb up to something, the ability to see uh, distinctive landmarks. It, it was, it was truly, truly tough, 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 um, infantry training. And of course, if you did survive all of the insects and things like that and all the things that could could get you that you had the night time to look forward to, and I don't care how much of that ridiculous mosquito repellent you put on. I don't care how tightly you cinched up your mosquito netting. We had those little hats, and you would tie it around your neck, and it kept the mosquito netting, you know, on your face. And you had the mosquito netting that you wrapped up. I had a hammock, so I'd sleep a little bit off the ground and try to put the mosquito netting around you. It didn't matter. Everybody woke up with mosquito bites and bug bites and things like that. Um, Alex Alonso, one of the best soldiers I met in Alpha Company, just stone cold, reliable guy, sent me a very nice message. He thinks I saved his life in Panama. I don't think so. Something bit his foot and I mean it looked like somebody inserted a small volcano onto his instep, the top of his foot and I did something I'd never done before. I, I administered uh, some of the lidocaine and, and I took a scalpel and I basically made a, a an X in there and a clean all that stuff out. Uh, I thought he might be having like an anaphylactic reaction and, and we had to send him out. He, we, he was evacuated on a Humvee by the controllers, by the guys that were, you know, doing the school, doing the training. And he told me he woke up at the aid station full of IVs and th- the best they think it was probably a spider bite. I think it was probably a scorpion that bit him. We'll actually probably never know. But he sent me a very nice note talking about how calm I was and how and that was my thing. That really was my claim to fame, if you will, in the field is I remained calm. I didn't really ever ever get panicked or anything like that, but I do remember seeing his foot and just thinking, oh my gosh, this is something very very bad. My first thought is he had stepped on like a, a thing in the ground like a punji steak or something. The Viet Cong is really here. I don't know. Anyway, anyway, uh, Alex is fine now. I believe he lives in Ohio. Well, it, it was, and i got to tell you, that tough, tough environment it really did bring the cohesion, our unit cohesion together in a really really interesting way. I, I, When I tell you the story next episode about Australia, when the Australians tried to wear us out when we first got to Australia, it's like, well, hey, listen, guys, we've already been to Panama. This is no big deal to us. The unit cohesion, I thought, really came together at JOTC in Panama. Um, Like I said, I know there have been some guys, uh, I only went once. I know I went twice. I went in 87 and I went in 1988. Other things, just basic things. Like I said, the radios, the radio signals were actually affected by the triple canopy. Night vision devices were just becoming... Something you would see occasionally in the field by the summer of 1987. And it was like the old-fashioned binocular-looking ones. Then we got some of the nicer ones. It didn't matter at nighttime. You have to have some ambient light to use those things. And they were worthless at, in the Triple canopy in Panama. And, of course, we didn't have GPS and things like that. So it's just a, such a challenging, challenging environment. And, again... As has been the case and will be the case for my entire tour with the 4th Italian 21st Infantry, the guys, we all held up remarkably well. One of my first memories when we arrived, and you know, you arrive and they have like these, you can still find them on Google Earth at Toro Point in Panama opposite of Cologne. I, I just looked at them the other day. Those, those buildings with, the, I think, the orange roofs that you were at when you weren't out in the field doing the J.O.T.C., course and i remember those those buses they had these like school buses they were all painted they were all rolling tributes to the virgin mary you know this this is central america almost south america because panama borders Colombia. And, you know, it's a Catholic country for the most part. I just, that's one of the things that I remember. Um, I remember when we first got there that we were uh, put in those big bays and, and the barracks. You know, we had been issued the jungle boots and the solid green fatigues. I loved uh, the solid green jungle fatigues. A few months ago, I went down to the Army Navy store and purchased the, the green cargo pants, the jungle Vietnam era cargo pants that we all wore in Panama. I kept mine. I wore mine in Australia too. I kept my green. Pants as long as I could for years and years and years. Some of y'all may remember somebody got Lyme disease at Fort Hunter Liggett, and they shut down Fort Hunter Liggett for a few months, and we spent some extra time in Garrison. And I did a rotation at Silas B. Hayes Hospital, and it was like, you know, the mongrels walking through the door. I walked in with my jungle boots shined and my jungle uniform pressed, you know, just flat as a pizza box. And anyway, I was it was like the the you'd, you'd let the bull in the China shop, that uncivilized infantry grunt. Just walked into the hospital and brought everything to a standstill. It was awesome. I only lasted up there about three days. I was not suited to the uh, the demeanor of the hospital staff. That was an epic fail. When I tried to work for a week at Silas B. Hayes Hospital. Anyway, back to Panama. That's my big memory from when I first got there. Those buses, those buses with the Lady of Guadalupe, the Virgin Mary, just painted all over them. I I told you, like I said, I know I went twice. '87 for the course. We went back in '88. Maybe it was just one company. That went, but I do remember that there was a tremendous difference in the way it felt in Cologne from eighty seven to eighty eight I remember Sergeant Nethaway telling us in eighty eight if you see somebody wearing a shirt with a pineapple on it. Stay away from them. These, these guys are troublemakers. You don't want to mess with these guys. Pineapple face was the nickname for the president of uh, Panama at the time, Manuel Noriega. And the, you know, the United States is worried. We're going to turn over the most important waterway in the world to this guy. And we don't know. He might be a, a sympathizer with the communist governments in Russia and Cuba. Uh, he might be helping the Colombian uh, narcotics traffickers get drugs to the United States. He was doing all of those things. And of course, subsequently, in December of 1990, the United States would invade Panama with an, with an assist from the 7th Infantry Division to get rid of Manuel Noriega. So, I mean, this is, this is within two and a half years of that happening. It was a very, it was very realistic Training when we were in the jungle. And it was very realistic, kind of getting a vibe of the population when we were in Cologne in 87 and 88. I remember being left there by the Air Force. Some of our guys had had taken some things off the Air Force planes. They didn't appreciate it. I remember spending a couple of days on that airstrip, I think at Howard Air Force Base. You know, think about this. If I told you right now, again, if you're listening to this and you're a friend or a family member of a light fighter, and I said, you're going to be out in your backyard. For the next two days, take everything you need. You got 10 minutes. I mean, what would you take? And I remember we just on that airfield, you know, living off MREs and canteen water and things like that. And like I said, my, my, my biggest takeaway was one of the things I've told other people when I've talked about this. I remember this very clearly. When we got back from Panama that summer, I noticed that we said something differently. Before Panama, the guys would say, if we were at a club in San Jose or up in Santa Cruz, hey, let's get back to post. You know, It's getting late. I've got to be up in the morning. I've got you know, PT in the morning, whatever. Let's get back to post. We called it that. We referred to it that way. We said, let's get back to Fort Ord. Well, after Panama, we would say, hey, let's, get, let's go home. Uh, Panama, just you know, convinced us that you know life in the backyard for a for a two day field problem or a three week field problem, a beautiful Hunter Liggett, which suddenly felt like a very nice resort along the Santa Barbara thoroughfare there in Southern California near Paso Robles, California. Panama made me appreciate a lot of things. Now, a couple of stories I do want to tell y'all about. Panama. I, I mentioned that Alex Alonso. He told me that he thinks I saved his life. I don't think that's the case. I think he might have had a really bad allergic reaction to a scorpion or a spider bite. But you know, we would have we he, we we had everything he needed. The chief warrant officer was down there. He, we would have been able to take care of him with epinephrine or something like that. Well. There was a place in front of those barracks. There's two places that we would swim one place that you could, and one place that you weren't supposed to. The one place I remember, some of y'all may recall, it was this you would walk kind of through the jungle a little bit away from the barracks, and I'm not exaggerating. It reminded me of Gilligan's Island, that lagoon. It was this beautiful Caribbean. Lagoon. People spend thousands of dollars to stay at an Airbnb or at some pricey resort someplace in Mexico or Aruba to have access to this this type of water of enjoyment. I remember it was just gorgeous. I'd go after dinner sometimes and swim in this lagoon, and you you sleep really well. I do at least when, when I've had a swim, and it also gets me really hungry, so sometimes I would swim before dinner anyway. Well there was also a place where you weren't supposed to swim I think it was out in front of the barracks in the locks. Well I've always been a very strong swimmer and I was like now ah. it was we were getting ready to leave after the trip in 98 excuse me 87 and I decided to go you know swimming with my friend Joe Nunley from Caney Kansas and this is a true story. Joe Nunley was from Caney, Kansas. He was a battalion aid station medic. I think he was out on the line a couple of times. Uh, he was famously related to, this was confirmed many years later, he was famously related to the mall singing wonder kid uh, of the late 1980s. Not Debbie Gibson, but the other one, Tiffany. I think we're alone now. That was his cousin, apparently. That was verified at some point. Anyway, that was the claim to fame. He'd say, hey, well, we could. Uh, he would show me his paper from Caney, Kansas. And the ads in the paper would say, you know, two two stops past the red light or the four-way stop, you'll find our store. you know. Uh, anyway, well, I'm out there swimming uh, in the – I guess they were the locks. I've looked at it on Google Earth. I think it was the locks. And I don't know if it had anything to do with the operations of the locks. I started to have some difficulty getting back to shore. The harder I swam, I was I was moving parallel with these, like, little rocky beach thing they had there – I wasn't too panicked. Um, I put my foot down and think I can walk back out of my shower shoes on. And it, it, the more I tried to get back, I eventually lose my shower shoes. I basically kicked them off. And when I try to walk back, the, the rocks or the coral or whatever, I can tell that's going to be impossible. Well, I decide it's time to say something to Joe about it. He's not coming yet. And I and I tell him, you know, yell out to him as calmly as I can, Joe, I've got a problem here. I can't get back to shore now. If I had just floated, I'm sure they would have sent somebody out for me in one of the Zodiacs or an helicopter or something. I probably could have floated for a while. I had on my green jungle pants. I knew there was a way to make like a a rudimentary life jacket out of your pants. You tie the bottoms and you pull it real close and it keeps you afloat for five seconds. But my my pants were full of holes after three weeks in the jungle. And, And I'm starting to think I've got a problem here. And I'm starting to do this thing with the pants just to be proactive and course, it's worthless. It's, they're too wet. They're too heavy. I can't get any air in them. And um, Joe's now starting to walk with me. And I'm saying, listen, I'm having some real problems getting back. I think you might need to go get help. Well, Joe Nunley from Caney, Kansas didn't go get help. He jumped in. He jumped in and he swam out to me and he grabbed a hold of my, my jungle pants and, and with his help pulled me back to shore. I don't know if he saved my life that day, but I was in really big trouble, far more trouble than I was letting on. And so if you're listening to this and you're kin to Joe Nunley from Caney, Kansas, he's buried in Caney, Kansas. He would later lose his life. A few years later in a car accident, he would end up in a coma. I would see him when I was at Fort Sam Houston. One day at drill, I went over uh, and he was at the hospital there and and he was in intensive care. He was in a coma. He was not responsive. And that was the last time I saw him. And it was a very, very, very sad affair and one that I don't particularly even talking about, but those of us that knew Joe Nunley, just a great guy. And that day in Panama, he, he did something that he didn't have to do. He jumped in and I would not have gotten back to shore without his help. Like I said, would I have drowned? I don't know, but he didn't have to do that. So that's, that's one of my favorite memories from Panama. I also remember we had uh, I think on the first rotation we had a guy there from West Point. He was he was a a student at West Point, and he had the circular rank on his collar. And, uh, he he was with our second platoon, and he was just a really nice guy. Uh, he wasn't really an officer or enlisted, but we treated him really well. He was in the headquarters company, and he kept up with everything. Well, the the last story, one of the last stories I want to tell you. Like I said, this I've told people in the past. The you know, The trip to Panama in nineteen eighty-eight. The trips to Panama. Period. That's what made me me. When I came back from Panama in eighty-seven and came home to San Antonio, Texas, for two weeks of leave, I was again just just on a different level than some of my peers from high school and people I'd gone to church with, and more so than certainly Hunter Leggett or field problems in the backyard, Hawaii, and even really light leaders course at Fort Benning, I I discovered a a toughness, a mental and a physical toughness in myself that that I didn't know existed prior to my deployment to Panama. Uh, One night when we were out in the field, uh, the only thing I can attribute it to is I think I got a hold of some bad MRE cheese, and I don't want to be graphic or gross anybody out here. I was sick to my stomach all night not not a second of sleep it was just sick to my stomach sick to my stomach and of course that dehydrates you you know standing still in panama will dehydrate you but being very very sick to your stomach and losing all those fluids and i wasn't even able to keep water down i mean anything that i drank it was just it wasn't it wasn't helping well, the next morning, as we're heading back to the barracks, I, I think it was Wiz. You probably said something. One of the controllers comes over to me and says, "Hey, Doc, drop your gear. I wanna, I wanna check you out. I heard you had a rough night." And so I, I drop my rucksack, and he, he takes his hand. I just did it. He takes his hand and pulls down on my, my t-shirt and puts his hand under my armpit, and he says, "Put your arm down." And he says, "Doc, you're not sweating. You're not even sweating. Uh, you've got a real problem here." He goes, "You're cold. You're clammy." And he says, "We're gonna have to get you out of here." Well. I said, absolutely not. I'm fine. I said, I'm fine. I a little sick to my stomach last night. He says, well I gotta let me tear your ruck. I said, nope. I said I'm not not going down that road. I've never quit on these guys. I said, I'm not gonna start now. And he says, okay, well, I'm going to keep it. You know, Captain Townsend is coming. Up. What's going on here? Guys, let's, we got to keep going. We're moving on. And, uh, and he's like, Doc, can you go? Can you go, Doc? And I was like, yes, sir, I'm fine. I'm fine. I wasn't fine, by the way. I was I was not in a good place. So um, I had not realized that I wasn't sweating. I hadn't done a self-assessment. I figured I can make it back to the battalion aid station. I'm going to go sign myself in and see if I can get some electrolytes or whatever, get some finagrin, get my stomach settled down so I can get some water and keep some water in me. We had a long way to go, though to get back to the barracks. Well, I did something that I nev- I've never, ever told anybody, anybody until this very second. It was my habit in those days to keep my brown rectangular med kit. I kept it on top of my rucksack. And I always kept it was about four to five IVs, which are very heavy, by the way, at the very top, because that was also my pillow at night. <laughs> you know, it was kind of comfortable to lay on those, you know, it kind of shape formed to the shape of your head. Those IV bags were actually kind of nice to sleep on. Well, as we moved out, I reached up over my head, unzipped my med bag and took out an IV now, the IVs come, it's like a, I don't know how to describe it, it's a leader of lactated ringers. It's, you've all seen IVs on, you know, television or whatever. Maybe you had one when you were in the army administered to you. Well, just as cool as can be, I, I get a, an IV, I get the tubing, which I kept in my cargo pockets. I kept some of the tubing in my cargo pockets so I could have it ready to go, and In case you've never done an IV, the IV comes with a needle that you have to put into the vein, and it has a little plastic sheath that goes over it. And then you slide the plastic sheath off the needle, take out the needle, and then connect the tube to the plastic, I guess, catheter is what it was called, and then you tape it up. Well, there was no way I could do that. There was no way I could do that uh, with one hand, and so uh, I took off. And I had no experience. I've never used any type of drugs that require a needle. I'd never given myself an injection before. Uh, we had we had practiced IVs on one another at a combat medic training at Fort Sam and at the at Fort Ord when we would do platoon training. But I'd never done this to myself. And I've got this. I just looked at <laughs> this big vein in the in the crook of my arm on my right arm that I figured there's no way I'm going to miss this so I took the sheath off I put the needle into the into the vein and I could see that I, I could feel that I got it. And then I'm just using my, my hands and my mouth and I get the thing. I remember I couldn't even tape it the right way. I just took some tape and wrapped it around to hold the needle down and hooked up the tubing. And then I took the the IV and I put it back in the top of my rucksack, back in the med bag and pulled the zipper around because you needed the gravity to to go in. And I just walked with my my rifle. Instead of holding my, my M16 with my hand, I just sort of rested the butt <laughs> on my can I'm doing all of this while I'm talking to y'all on, on my canteen so nobody could see. And I would eventually make it back to the battalion aid station. And they, they fired me up with, I think I had two IVs going at one time and maybe one in my foot. Uh, but that, like I said, that unit Cohesion, that unwillingness to let the guys down. There was no, no way I was gonna, I was gonna be, I was not gonna be the medic who needed a medic. No way. And when we got back, uh, that profile picture that I've got there and that picture I'm posting for Panama was taken by somebody else who died. Uh, Sergeant Harrington took that picture, and uh, that's that's my favorite picture from my time in the army. That was the night after I gave myself an IV in the jungles of Panama, and I'm using that as my LinkedIn profile picture too up until Veterans Day. Well, I would love to hear some of your favorite memories about Panama since we're getting down to two final episodes. Uh, I do want to say this. the, The Anchor FM site where you can find all of the episodes in one place, if there's anybody out there that wants to record their own podcast, their own memory, you can do it on your phone. You can do it in GarageBand. You can do it on voice memos. You can email it to me or send it to me. When I'm finished with this series on Veterans Day, I'll be happy to post that for you. If you have any questions on how to do it, I'm happy to answer any questions. You know, I've heard that Van Halen Panama song so many times uh, over the years, and the 30 plus years, and every single time I hear it, obviously my my first thoughts are of our time at Fort Sherman and the Jungle Operation Training Center. I've got the uh, the colored patch sitting over right there on the wall uh, in my studio. I've got it stuck to a picture that I have on the wall here in the studio, and all of my all of my memories. You forget the hardships. You forget the hardships in Panama, and you think about the great times that we. had, but again, it really is where I became the person I really am to this very, very day. You know, my son, uh, we have a a special program here in Texas called the Hazelwood Act. If you join the Army as a Texas resident and you're still a Texas resident and you're honorably discharged and your family member attends a state school here in Texas, you don't pay tuition. And so, you know, I always, I told my son, I said, you know, I, we earned that. You know, I'm, I'm glad that I earned that benefit. I earned it in a lot of places, but man, Panama, Panama was really, really the crucible. It, it really was the perfect training experience for what we were all about as light infantry soldiers. This is what we had been designed to do. To do combat operations in this ridiculously insane jungle environment. And as and as a and as an epilogue to all of this, it really, really compelled me to respect the Vietnam veterans that we had in our unit at the time. You know, we had plenty of guys that had served in Vietnam in the 1980s, senior enlisted guys. I just I couldn't imagine what it must have been like to be in real intense combat in that environment, because there there was never anything else like it. The reason I think National Training Center was the hardest field problem is for a completely different reason. But in terms of just the, the, the jungle and the inability to rely on the things that I thought had made me a good soldier in the first place, it was, like I said, it brought us all Very close together in Alpha Company, Second Platoon, and within the battalion. And it really did prepare us for everything that came afterwards. Most notably, the show, the episode that we're doing next. Please listen, even if you weren't in Alpha Company, we were representing all the guys in the 7th ID when we went down. Under to Her Majesty's Australia, North Queensland, Tully, Townsville, Australia, the deployment of deployments. Just got a chill thinking about it, looking forward to talking about it. And like I said, I, I would love to hear some of y'all's favorite memories about Panama and J O. I noted many years later, the Army started letting the guys wear that jungle patch, which, by the way, they should have done all along because we all earned it. Again, my name is Jason Dice. Thank you so much for listening to Light Fighters, the last foot soldiers of the Cold War. And until next we speak, no slack, Cold Steel, Bushmasters, and Night Fighters, Boar Brother Boar.